0: Welcome to Changemaker Rehab. Changing the world is exhilarating and overwhelming. Join me, Heather McDougall, as I host bold leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and changemakers on the front lines of the world's most pressing challenges, discover what it means to be empowered by your mission rather than consumed by the magnitude of the problem you're trying to solve. Together, step by step, we stand on the legacy of others and create the world we dream about. Welcome, Fred, to Change Maker Rehab. I am so thrilled to have you here. I like giggle as I introduce you because right before we started recording, I was like gosh such like a cool long name how do I (laughs) how do I introduce you and I said we'll just see how it comes out so I guess it came out as Fred but thank you so much for being here how are you today
1: I'm doing great today has been a good day Fridays are always my favorite day because that means that you get a whole weekend to do what you need to do
0: It's a good one. We're going to get into some really cool stuff. I'm first just going to jump in and ask you, what is what's your dream? Like, what's your dream for? I mean, it could be the world or your community, or I mean, as big or as narrow as you like. But what comes to mind when I ask you that? What's your dream?
1: Absolutely. Uh, when I think about my dream, I think about a space and place where people not only feel accepted, but they know that they are. There is no if, ands, or buts about or any excuses for that accepting. Um, And so this idea of inclusion being the forefront of what we do. So when I think about COVID-19 and the policies that took place, if inclusion was like just as serious as COVID-19, I think we would see a lot of healing in our community, a lot of expression and a lot of different values and a diverse amount of experiences. And so for me, my biggest dream is that people are accepted for who they are and what they are and how they are in a way that we put it at the front of, of our mission.
0: Yes. And I, one of the things you mentioned is like COVID, right. And if I, I've talked about that a little bit, of course, my passion and background comes from environmental sustainability but everything's connected right social justice environment like food everything and i one of the things i talked about too with covid is whatever opinions are on how covid was managed the fact is like change was mobilized really quickly and implemented and that just proves that we're capable as a society overall of making really big changes and I don't know if that's exactly what you mean but that's kind of how I heard it of like we can do this. We can make inclusion and acceptance of people for who they are and what they are. We can do this. It's not hard. We just need to decide to do it.
1: I would say it definitely is hard for sure. <laughs> I think people benefit from not being accepting, but I would also say yes, it is it is one of those things that COVID has shown us is possible, more, yeah. more for sure.
0: Yeah, I that word hard, right? Or hard versus simple. And sometimes I know I personally maybe use it as an a word that doesn't quite mean what it means, but in that sense of like we can. Do right, it, right? Yeah, and and um, I think sometimes things come down to choices, and it is hard to change minds. That's definitely a process, even in our own lives, right? How do we evolve? Tell me a little bit about what are some of the ways that you are creating change toward that dream right now?
1: Absolutely. So uh, I've been, as of recently, noticing that I, I wear a lot of hats, or I do a lot of things in the community. Uh, currently in Fargo, North Dakota where I uh, work at YouthWorks, North Dakota. I am the founder of Fred's Dissonance and I'm the co-founder of Emoja Writing Workshops. So with all those things at YouthWorks, I'm a case manager, I'm a program coordinator, I'm a mentor um, and overall, I help people stay out of jail, stay out of prison, Uh, stay off parole and kind of assess goals and different things like that Uh, we also have a moja writing workshops in which we teach over 200 kids about values leadership empathy vulnerability exploring yourself exploring your neighborhood exploring exploring your community needs so those are the ways i think that we're making a direct impact and then uh fred's dissident is sober fun and cultural events when i got to north dakota Uh, I was taught that everything uh, requires a beer attached to it. And that kind of scared me. It was kind of like, you know, you got to drink here, you got to drink there. I remember going to a meeting um, and it was supposed to be a work meeting. Everybody there had a beer and I was like, okay, you know, this is a lot, you know, and so I think for myself, wanting a space that was opening and inviting to people who might be rehabilitating or just might desire sober fun, um, and then also in North Dakota we have a very strong Norwegian Swedish culture, uh, but we're not we're not really aware of other cultures from you know mm. the. Af- Diaspora. So I took it upon myself to do cultural events, um, and so all those things to me create or at least evoke a conversation to create change.
0: Gosh, you know, so I grew up in North Dakota, west of Fargo, like a hundred miles, and then like my life has brought me all over the place. where right? I've lived in the Middle East and in Europe, and now currently right back in in North Dakota. And I mean, I remember meeting you at the TEDx Fargo event. In I mean, depending on when anyone's listening to it, it was what it was it? Was July twenty twenty one, right? Yeah. Such a cool event, and you did this like amazing spoken word, like poetry art piece, and I just obviously felt immediately like, oh, you are are just such like an awesome special person, and oh, wow. bringing Thank so much here and I like immediately wanted to introduce myself to you and your family and everyone who was there and and I think you're right this part of the world because of just its history and who who moved here and i mean of course it's a very complicated history but it it is a less racially diverse place than than other places and i also think that there's a lot of diversity that we are not aware of as like a dominant culture as well right within the especially the fargo community and yeah i think i'm curious to know what is As you've started, let's say, Fred's Dissonance or any of your work, what have been some of the barriers that you have faced, whether it's like a literal, I mean, any barrier, whatever you mean, I was going to say, if it's a literal structural barrier, systematic barrier, or an emotional barrier, what's something that you feel like you faced when you were starting up with your work?
1: Absolutely. Biggest barrier, I would say, is things have not been done the way that they were. People don't really like to reinvent the wheel. Um, I've Mm. seen that at least in Fargo, North Dakota, if you aren't doing things the way that things already have been done, then people are kind of afraid or they're kind of apprehensive to recreate something. Um, And I would say that that is the biggest barrier for all things across the board. So Mm. doing a cultural event in Fargo, like an outdoor festival that has speaking and, and poets and character artists and people who can fly drones and as well as create tech and all those different things in one space is not really a very North Dakotan way of of Mm. being. So also thinking about, you know, wanting people to not go to jail and wanting people to not be apprehended is not necessarily a way that people have seen uh, the criminal Mm. justice system. And so for me, I've noticed that a lot of folks are trying to get over what they're used to. And I think that that's one of the hardest things and one of the biggest barriers in North Dakota is, you know, people are used to what they are used to. And when you tell folks different things, they can be very apprehensive. I love to tell people that in the 1800s, there were Black people in North Dakota, right? Like Black people have been here for a while. Um And so with that, people are like, are you sure? You know, and, and just kind of like wanting mm-hmm. to check history. So for me, I think it's always fun to learn new things. Like I'm learning about North Dakota every day. I didn't know that there was a national park that we can go and visit, uh, you know, a hundred miles away from here. I didn't know that they had, you know, the Badlands and different things like that in other parts of the Dakotas. Uh, and you learn that every day. And so I would say that as much as it, it's a barrier, it's also kind of um, a blessing in disguise because so many people have things the way they have that when you show them something new or when they show you something new, it's an exploratory experience for everybody.
0: A couple of things are coming to my mind as you're saying that of you're meeting you're meeting an edge, right? Or like people's edge, people's barrier of the It it happens in our own individual lives too, right? We get used to the way things are done um, and maybe we're seeking personal growth or whatever it may be, but you come up against that edge. So whatever it is, like there's vulnerability that exists there. And I think what I hear you so beautifully talking about is you are inviting people to expand their edge into new events or new ways of thinking about things but you're meeting it also with a sense of vulnerability yourself in that you are also learning and so therefore it's like expanding this like really beautiful growth opportunity which softens everybody's edges right when we are able to come together with that um i love the idea of these events with all of the different gosh from tech to drones to music to spoken word talk a little bit about that like have have you done an event like that and how did it go or is this something like what's your vision
1: yeah so uh I appreciate you asking that primarily because uh, I grew up on the north side of Minneapolis we always did outdoor events I, hmm. I grew up raids, I grew up going to Rondo Days which is the day in which the whole community comes out I grew up having national nights out Um, And when we didn't have that in Fargo, I was kind of like shocked. I was kind of like a little scared, to be honest. And so I'll never forget like bringing people together for our first Juneteenth and we had 25 people. And then we had a second Juneteenth and we had 40 people. And the next one we had about 50. Um, And last year, this time we had our second annual official community Juneteenth um, and we had over 350 people participate. And so last year
0: we had-
1: so we had that, the singers, the dancers, the community come out, community partners and different people investing into different things that they want to showcase um, as far as bringing the community together. Uh, last year's theme was Emoja, which is uh, one of our you know, values, which is unity and bringing people together. And what does that look like to bring people together? And so we have done these events in the past, but I think this year will be a lot larger. Um, so you talked about the TEDx and, and I met some cool people at the TEDx and one of those people was Sean Riley, who is doing amazing things for North Dakota with cybersecurity. Uh, and there's a company in which he is a part of called Edutech. And so Edutech this year, they offered to come down to Fargo and actually bring drones and drone cages to showcase to the youth who typically have, you know, lower socioeconomic statuses, the availability of these tech, uh, tech yeah. opportunities. And so For me, when you talked about this idea of somebody having an idea and then wanting to expand that idea to something new, that's what Fred's dissonance is all about. Because cognitive dissonance is where my name comes from, which is this idea where your attitudes and behaviors don't align. So for myself, I always say I want to lose 15 pounds, but I always get Burger King fries on Fridays. So it's like, how am I going to lose that 15 pounds, right? And so cognitive dissonance is this idea that once you learn something new, there's this discomfort where you have to choose to stay with what you know or to choose that new thing. And so that's kind of what we're doing in this community.
0: You know, friction in general. I think about friction, cognitive dissonance, friction in the world. Like friction is absolutely it's a hundred percent necessary for any sort of motion, yeah. right? Like we have to have it and I think it's one of human experiences to learn, just like you're saying, how do we navigate this cognitive dissonance and the physical experience that that creates? within us and our ability to learn how to navigate that and go forward in an alignment with right. What to me, I always say like with what lights you up with Mm -hmm. what your purpose is here. I kind of want to like draw a connection to something you said about when you first moved or when you were in Fargo, you got here and you realized there weren't the same kinds of gatherings that you had in your neighborhood growing up in North Minneapolis, you know, and you said it kind of scared you. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, right. But there was like this fear of the fact that there were no gatherings. I'd love for you to maybe just explain that a little bit more for like, oh gosh, what does that, like, how does that fear, like, how did you feel the fear? Like, what were you worried about? And then in a way, like, what was the cognitive dissonance? If you can like explain that, what was the dissonance you went through to decide to do something about it? How, what, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: So it's two questions so I'll try to at least answer them as best as I can. Um, The fear or the scaredness of not having events in Fargo that represented the people in Fargo was scary to me because I was aware that there are people who look like me or look very different than me who had things to celebrate and those things weren't celebrated and so Mm When we think about history and culture, there's typically an erasure of culture or an erasure of these festivities and cultural uh, understandings that are important no matter where you are geographically. And so, Juneteenth being a liberation of, of our people, of American people, uh, that would be something I would think everybody would want to celebrate, right? Mm-hmm. People being like, I don't even know what Juneteenth is was pretty scary for me uh, as an African-American male who knows about Emancipation Proclamation and the ending of slavery. It's a huge deal, right? And so for some mm-hmm. people to say, like, it does, I don't even know what that day stands for. Was super scary to me, um, knowing that Cinco de Mayo has been used as more of a drinking than it is a, a, a appreciation of culture. It's pretty scary uh, thinking about most of our holidays that we celebrate in North Dakota are driven by drinking. So St. Patty's Day is huge, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like has nothing to do with St. St. Patrick, the person who the day is for. Um, and so when I say scary, I mean scary in in terms of wanting to put value on things that people are n- not seeing the understanding uh, of value for and so it's not necessarily scary in a fear way but scary in a way that's like oh man we have some work to do um, yeah. And then you ask about the cognitive dissonance and deciding to do those things um, I never forget Maya Angelou has this quote and she goes um, if there's a book that you want to read that you haven't read yet, you create it. When I was 19 years old, I was hit by a drunk driver uh, going to mm-hmm. a spring break trip in South Padre Island, Texas. I spent 14 days, you know, in a hospital trying to get back to North Dakota. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being in the hospital thinking, how do I want my life to change? What do I want to change in my life? And I remember being like, I want to take life more serious. I want to give people more opportunities to do the same. There's always that question of like, what is your purpose? Or what, what lights you up? What what drives you forward? Um, and inclusion has always been that for me. And how do we create um, a table in which everybody invests into and is at, rather than always trying to get at another table in which your voice won't be heard. So um, mm-hmm. these events mm-hmm. that we do currently um, allow people's voice to be heard, no matter how much money you do have or don't have, uh, there's a place at our table for you to feel included.
0: Did you have any worries. And maybe I'll preface this by saying, you know, a lot of like my experience as a founder and a change maker and living in other cultures, I mean, of course, as a white woman with like from America, like definitely a high level of privilege that follows me around. Right. But still just being in different cultures and or just even creating change with my own company, you know. There's always again these edges, and there's there's the worries and the stories and the narratives that can can kind of come up and say like, "Oh, are you sure? Like, are you sure you want to go there? Do Do you have any of those, you know, or you know, leading up to you up to the first Juneteenth celebration that you organized in Fargo or or anything like that? Are there any worries that have come along for you of really, I mean, making really beautiful and for, especially for Fargo, like bold steps in helping people see like a part of culture and history that has been forgotten. I'm wondering if like, what kind of worries or kind of nerves did you face?
1: Yeah, I would say there's nothing like your mom calling you and telling you to slow down what you're doing because she's afraid for your life. Mm. Um, I, when the, the situations were happening with protesting and organizing in Fargo, um, I was one of the main people who were trying to provide some type of education on what certain terms meant. Um, and so with that comes a lot of people, you know, expecting you to answer what is happening. Um, and so I was on the news a lot. I was in news articles, you know, people were interviewing me and different things of that sort. And so I would say my biggest worry was always not, You know, not being able to really control my own narrative that's always been kind of my biggest fear is like what if we do this event and something goes about, and it's not the narrative that we're trying to create and it looks like something else, Um, and then also being in North Dakota there's a lot of people who who Center uh, the dominant core culture. And so when you don't center the dominant core culture, sometimes people feel like you're pulling away from that normal. And when you're pulling mm-hmm. away from normal, that can create friction. And so that was a big worry for me too, is I don't want to look like a troublemaker. I don't want to look like mm-hmm. somebody who's trying to cause issues um, when I'm literally you know, doing something that I would think would um, is off those issues. And so I would say that was a huge worry for me, but then my driving force for why I do what I do has always been bigger than any of those worries or fear. Yeah.
0: I like cannot in any way (laughs) relate, of course, to that experience that you have. And thank you for sharing (laughs) that here. And I just hope everyone who's who's listening everywhere, right? It's like just like you were saying at the very beginning, your dream is like inclusion that everyone's voice gets to be heard. And I think of it when I've gone into to different cultures, I'm just thinking of when we hear somebody's story for the first time or just if someone's hearing my story it's like how can we help how can i cuz i can only take responsibility for myself but it's like not make assumptions about anything that's coming at me and honestly, that's impossible because we're humans. And like part of our job is to like try to formulate opinions about the world just evolutionarily. Right. But in general, like how can we like not make assumptions and really approach things with curiosity and openness? And again, like you're talking about what you've learned here and what other people are learning. It's like at that, at that space. So just as you're telling your stories and for some folks, it's probably very relatable, and for others who are listening, it's it's new in ways that they can't identify. So I just anyway, I just really appreciate that, and I appreciate being able to be here and have these conversations with you. And it just makes me want to keep going deeper. And we will we'll go a little. We don't have to like stop for now, but I'm just so excited to know you, and um, we'll see how can I help. We'll amplify what you are doing, and if there is way, anyway, and. If there's not then that's cool too but gosh where to go from here i know that there's so many really cool things that you have going on and when we were preparing to do this interview you also mentioned like talking about leadership and i think a lot of what you are describing is leadership like how do you okay. step forward so you mentioned like your bigger why and i'm i'm wondering what have you learned about leadership, what does leadership mean to you and, and how do you approach it?
1: Absolutely. So I want to give a shout out to Dr. Holly Mackey. Uh, she's working in Washington, D.C. right now, but she was my professor at NBSU. She always taught us that leadership is how you respond. Um, mm. And I've taken that now and kind of twisted it to my, my own uh, fraternized way of thinking about it. But leadership is not only how you respond, but people are watching how others respond. And I think that that is where your leadership showcases itself. So me as a father, how I respond in real time to my daughter Is going to determine what kind of leader I am to her. Um, Me as a case manager or as a mentor, as a program coordinator, how I respond to students will let them know what type of leader I am. And so oftentimes when people say like, what does it mean to be a leader or what does leadership mean? I always go, you know, leadership is your ability to respond or not respond in times of controversy and in times of convenience. Um, One Mm -hmm. of the people who I look up to and strive to have a heart like is Martin Luther King. And I don't mean that in a performative way, but he said, um, you judge a man or woman um, not by not by how they're going in, in convenience, but how they're going in times of adversity um, mm. when things are not going great. And I think about my mother. It was a very very great example of things not always going great, but her making sure her children were all right, making sure that her family was safe, making sure that people were fed and taken care of. That was how she responded. And I think about. Oftentimes, the people who I did not like as my leaders, or as my coaches, or as my bosses, the way they responded in situations show what type of leader they were.
0: It's reminding me of a, just like as a, a relating that how you respond. I had a, a it's a story for another time, but like a fairly like a traumatic experience. I was actually on choir tour, and I ended up having to like be brought to the Hennepin Medical what a, HCMC Hennepin mm-hmm. County Medical Center, right? It's like the trauma mm-hmm. hospital in the Twin Cities. I was there and. I was young and anyway, there was a doctor who came in and he was, I I really truly believe he was like an angel because later on there was like no record of this human existing, but he said something to me like through this experience that was fairly similar of like, I can't even remember it exactly, but something to that same effect, like who you are is determined by how you're going to respond to this, you know, how you're going to move forward. What are you going to take forward from it? Not... Are you going to stay in the past and let it kind of eat you alive in a way? Mm -hmm. And without the context of the story, I know it's kind of like vague, but I think it's just so, so powerful. And that's what I hear you talking about as a leader. It's like leadership by example is what I'm hearing, but in the way of like, how are you responding and how are you showing up and being out there when, whether or not like one eye is on you or 10,000 eyes are on you, it's like, how are you showing up and putting yourself into the world. Yeah. The folks that you work with, whether it's at YouthWorks or in, in Emoja, right? That's the writing workshops yeah. that you do or with anyone you meet. I'm positive that you are such an incredible role model to people who are like wanting to create like impact in the way that you are. What what kind of advice do you give to them? Or, or what do you see your your groups, your organizations, what do you see them struggling with in, in a sense of how to overcome something to become that leader, to become that next level of change maker? Can you talk to me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, you said, uh, you said a word that the best way to say it is, is, it doesn't bug me, but it kind of makes me itch a little bit, this term role model, right? And mm. so many people use that term, And for me, I never felt like I was playing a role like I always I always thought Mm. I was a real model like I thought, you know, I'm going to showcase a human who is going to make mistakes in front of you. I'm going to showcase a human who may not say the right things every single time I'm going to showcase a human who is going to be late to meetings every once in a while, and so that is being real, you know, that is me being as authentic as I can to myself as I'm also discovering myself, right? And I think Mm. oftentimes people get caught up in roles and positions and titles and they have to respond in a certain way or they have to talk in a certain way or they have to not talk in a certain way but they aren't being real and authentic and then it doesn't it doesn't end out well. And so for myself, I think I have been very very honest with my students that I'm not going to always do the perfect thing. I have been very very transparent on my company that I work for that I center black people in, in my decision making and in my thinking because I understand that I don't think that we are more important than anybody else. I just know that it is a priority for me, for us to sustain and live and grow and be healthy. And and, um, I think that in being a real model, like I am accepted as who I am. Like I dress very colorful. You can't really see it, but I have on a face mask with translucidness. I have on a a t-shirt with Anthony Edwards and Justin Jefferson and My shoes are, you know, humongous and my (laughs) shoes are are big, but at the end of the day, I am, I'm a teacher and I don't look like most teachers that are in the building. You know, I'm a social worker by, by position where I work, right. We're helping homeless youth out. Those who have been trafficked out. I don't typically look like somebody who does that. And so for me, Mm -hmm. I am being authentically myself in doing so. Am I perfect? By no means. No, 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 no. But I am coming as I am every day and I'm happy to be existing. And I think that oftentimes there was a time in my life where I was not happy to exist. I was not happy to be here. I wasn't present in the moment. I was always worried about the past or worried about the future. And so Mm -hmm. if there's barriers for people, I would say that that is probably the largest barrier is like, who are you in your heart of hearts and how do you know? And what in life has showed you that? And I think that oftentimes people haven't lived, you know, I feel like I'm, Thirty-nine years old, but I'm really twenty-five. You know, I have a mm-hmm. master's degree in education. I have a bachelor's in psychology. I work a full-time job. I've got two TED talks out. Like these aren't things that somebody from my community would normally say. Um, mm-hmm. But I've lost forty-seven of my friends to gun violence. I don't mm-hmm. really have time to. Uh, fake it. I don't have time to play a role. Like, I want to be completely real. I don't want to lose any more friends. I don't want to lose any more people in my community. And the only way for that to happen is to create healing and to create change and to do so uh, humbly and to do so with the understanding that I'm going to be who I am. Um, and if I have to be somebody different to do that, then that won't work out. And I think that everybody has to really look themselves in the mirror at some point and say, Am I being who? Who I'm supposed to be, and how do I know I'm supposed to be that person? Um, and it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in six months. It's not going to happen in three years. Like this took me eight and a half years of you know trials and tribulations, and fatherhood, and and not being accepted, and being accepted, and different things for me to understand that like I am still learning who I am every day right? Like Mm -hmm. Heather, you are still learning who you are every day, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that so many times people see somebody who they look up to and they go, I want to be this person, but then they don't practice or strategize what happens when you become that person. Like where, where's your next, you know what I mean? And so I think, you know, stepping into my authenticity was super difficult, you know, coming to North Dakota, I'm super colorful. Like Heather, Mm -hmm. this is probably my most normal outfit that I've worn. Um, when you see me at the Ted talk, I'm sure I had on lots of colors and I do so because that is a part of who I am. That's a that's a barrier, but it's also like a challenge type of thing.
0: I love this like real model versus role model. And I'm so happy that, well, I'm not happy that I like made you itch, <laughs> but I'm so happy that like it brought this, yeah. this out because I think words are so powerful and you mm-hmm. are like a beautiful artist. With words, I mean my background, like coming from law school, which I went to law school to learn more about social change. Right? How mm-hmm. do how do our laws impact our societies, and vice versa? Right, they're just obviously so intertwined. Yeah. But coming from law school, like words carry so much meaning in a different <laughs> context than yeah. like this like this artistry that I know you bring. But I think yeah, there's like a double edged double-edged to focusing on our words right I think sometimes for me I've gotten so focused on like am I using the right words that I've forgotten Mm -hmm. to be authentic and just speak but I do think at the same time that there's so much value in understanding what are the words we're saying and what are the stories that we are believing about ourselves or not Mm. even intentionally about our communities and like so if we don't have mirrors to reflect words to us or, you know, whatever that is, like, how can we then change those, those stories? And I think authenticity, totally, totally beautiful. And this idea that we're constantly evolving. I agree. Even for me and the experiences I've had people ask like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I'm like, oh yeah, wait, I guess I've had enough experiences now that people can use something I've done as a, learning point, which yeah. is awesome. But does that make me any more of a, like to your point, like role model? No, I'm still a human, like making mistakes and doing things well and like mm-hmm. figuring it out, figuring it out as I go. So anyway, thank you for that. Thanks for, I'm just like reflecting on it because it's so beautiful, but maybe here as we kind of like round into the last few minutes of at least this interview, yeah, talking about words. I'd love for you to what comes up for you? How did you get into spoken word? I mean, am I even describing it? How do you like to describe what you do yeah. with
1: poetry? Yeah, I would consider myself a wordsmith, uh, spoken word artist, wordsmith. Uh, I got into spoken word. I think it, it was ancestral. One part of it is ancestral, right? Like uh, my people come from the African diaspora where they literally solved wars with poems. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of like Ethiopian war stories, but they literally solved Solved wars with with the best poets of both areas in the eastern hemisphere of, of Africa. Uh, but pr- more important, um, I had a teacher by the name of Miss Crystal Spring at Washburn High School. So I went to school on the north side of Minneapolis at Patrick Henry. I ended up transferring and going to school in South Minneapolis at Washburn High School. And at Washburn, they had this this room. It was called Black Box Theater. And I just needed one more extra credit for art or whatever. And I'm like, I'm gonna try this <laughs> out. This ain't really for me. Um, and I go in the classroom and I tell the teacher like. At that point, I was 16 years old. I told the teacher, like, yeah, I've I've lost a lot of friends. Like, I I don't see a lot of joy in what's happening. And I remember her being like, "Um, this place is exactly for you. Like, this place is for you. You know, your story matters. Your story deserves to be told. And she had this banner on the wall. And on the banner, it said, a voice for the voiceless. And so Mm -hmm. in this Black Box Theater program, we had poets. We had directors. We had artists. We had people who could construct their body and break different parts of it to make a story. And that's one thing that she pushed into us is that our stories mattered. And if we saw people whose story was being muddled or rewritten by somebody else, we deserve to showcase that story. And so in my class, we had queer individuals, we had Muslim individuals, we had folks that came from, you know, foster homes and different things. And we're all together in this room talking about our trauma and oppression, in a way that wasn't look at me, but in a way that's like, how can we dismantle the narratives and make something for change and so mm-hmm. shout out to Miss Crystal Spring um, I even gave mm-hmm. her a shout out in my first TED talk because she literally she told me that I could do more and you know me as a young adult now thinking about it I quit her class like after a few <laughs> it. I quit her class because I was like in high school worried about high school things and it was in moments like that that I was able to showcase like we went to the University of Minnesota and I did a poem in front of 3000 people. And this is when I was 16, 17 years old. Right. So look at me now. It's like, wow, like never in my life would I had a thought I would have one Ted talk, let alone two um, about spoken word and vulnerability in a way that is authentically myself. I would have never guessed that. So yeah, that's where the spoken word came from.
0: Well, I mean, you're, it's obviously comes from a place in you that it's a spark. It's a, I don't know, there's something about it. And I know, I'm sure you work at it. I think this is a this is a thing. And maybe I'm I mean my mind is like little like sparking on a hundred things that I want to say and ask you. But it's like there's so many things and maybe this is where where my mind is kind of going of like I think about when I talk with change makers and people who are like looking for their passion and really wanting to make a difference in whatever their passion, whatever their community is, you know, it's like, I talk about like zones of genius, like Mm. where are your zones of genius? What? And that's that thing that like lights you up and we can have multiples of them. Right. And I definitely, to me, seems like you do, whether it's working directly with people or it's, being a poet in all of these ways at the same time being a, in your zone of genius doesn't mean that it's just like oh easy and you're not putting effort and energy towards it and i don't know if that if there's anything that me saying that like comes up for you but i'm thinking of the performance and the artistry that you gave at TEDx where i saw you and i met you it's like gosh so much passion and energy and everything goes into that so it's like i maybe that's the thing it's like where do you think work and energy and effort meets zone of genius
1: also chiming about like you talked about spoken word and i didn't talk about my dad being an apostle so like growing Mm -hmm. up in a church seeing my dad preach all the time um, and he forced us to come up on stage and say a few words like that, got my feet wet. But then on top of that, I'm not the most religious person, but I do have very Christian morals when it comes to certain things. And one thing my dad always talks about is faith without works is dead. Um, mm. And I took that as a kid as if you won't work for what you want, you actually don't want it. And so like me, when I graduated uh, with my master's, I was like, I'm never going to go to school again. I'm never, I don't want to be in a classroom. I don't want to be on Zoom because I, I graduated during the The beginning of the pandemic. So we're Mm. on for everything. Um, And I'm taking classes now. I am learning from people now. I'm having meetings and reading books that I never would have thought I would read until now, right? I think about this story of the alchemist. I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Alchemist, but in this story, this young shepherd, he travels the world, right? And what he realizes is that it was through these intricate experiences that he had that bettered him throughout time that also showcased his ability to show his uniqueness, right? I wrote I wrote it down because what you said was beautiful. It's a, a zone of genius. Um, and I remember being in Australia. I went to Australia a year and a half, two years ago, to go speak at the Center for Multicultural Youth. Um, and there I was raised up. Like, people are super excited and happy to hear my voice and happy to hear about my experiences and who I, who I am. And I remember thinking, like, I am nobody. I'm coming from, you know, the north side of Minneapolis. Like, who am I? you know, in Australia. And I will showcase that it doesn't matter where you are. You know what I mean? Like you are where you are today for a reason, for a purpose and what that mm-hmm. purpose is, finding itself out. And that's what the book, The Alchemist is about. It's about going to these different spaces and places and, and not always belonging, but like finding out who you are. And so the work is, you can have all the knowledge in the world. I talked to my, my, my brother about this the other day. I said, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you share with no one, and you don't have any knowledge and mm. it's the same thing with work like you can put in all the work in the world but if you don't share like the blessings and and the and the connections and the networking with other people like then you're just it's just a hard worker and that's about it and that's nothing wrong with just being a hard worker but I believe there's so much more to go around and so when you do the work and other people are doing the work then you all connect together then there's more um, and there's a sense of abundance and that's what I have in my heart as somebody who knows I come from the African diasporas I live in a mind that is not individualistic, it is very abundant, and it's a we mentality and not an I mentality, and so with that comes collective work and responsibility, which is a part of, um, I celebrate Kwanzaa, I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily celebrate Christmas, and Kwanzaa, one of them is uh, Kajinga, which is self determination, um, and there's other words which mean collective work and ajima, which is collective work and responsibility. Meaning, like this collective work that we all put in together in our individualized places create this village. And mm-hmm. so, I always ask, like, do you want to be a part of the village, Heather? You know what I mean? Like, do the folks listening to this, do you want to be a part of the village? Because we're all doing our part to be a part of that village.
0: Oh, I lo- I love this! Oh my gosh, we like. Do you mind if I ask you a few more questions or if we keep talking for a little bit? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's okay.
0: (laughs) We don't have to go for too too much longer, but I think you're describing this. I love just the way that you're talking about, well, community and the collective. And as you're talking, I'm like, you know, seeing fractals. And this is how I really... I love the concept of fractals, right? It's like, we're all just little pieces. We're all the same thing, just pieces of the same thing and pieces of the same thing as it expands, 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 expands. And yet within that, we each have our own like magic, our own gift, our own part of it, that when it works together, when we all put it out there, it creates something obviously so much greater than any one of us yet it needs each one of us. And I think that's just the power of authenticity. It's the power of like following and putting in the work on the thing that sparks you up. And then yes, putting it out into the world. Like I, thinking of things like the laws of the universe mm. and how how does that work? And literally you have to put something out in order for it to give you any sort of response back. Otherwise it does either, it creates stagnancy in your own life. And then the external world evolves around that you know, so it's like nothing is truly stagnant ever, but your relationship to it is. So yeah, we have to, we have to do action. We have to put things out there. And then there's a faith in your action and my action and our community's action is all somehow, I don't like designed to work together. I'm not necessarily saying like pre like prescribed as in we have no control over that, but yeah, it all comes together to create, create the next to create Absolutely. the future like we do it we get to we are all part of the one and yeah. we have the power to do it
1: it reminds me of that Ferris Bueller quote where it's like uh he's <laughs> like you know life is always moving but if you don't stop and like look around for a second like you kind of get lost you know mm. you get lost uh we we have this saying some slang saying and it's like you get lost in the sauce because it's like you get lost in everything that's going on where you don't recognize that you might not know anybody from Idaho, but that doesn't stop them from making potatoes. You might not know anybody Mm -hmm. from Argentina, but that might not stop them from making the world's uh, potatoes. They have the the largest thing of potatoes, right? So it's like (laughs) all these things are working, even if you are not. And that's Mm -hmm. what I tell my students. I say, everything that you need to change your life is inside of you.
0: Mm -hmm. There's nothing
1: that I can give you. There's nothing that anybody else in this room can give you that you don't give yourself. And once you give yourself that permission, to be a part of the world that is awesome and sometimes you got to take a break sometimes you can't do the work sometimes mental health and different things are calling um and you have to address that and you have to deal with that but once you're part of the collective work um, it's going to continue to grow and so yeah I, I would agree with everything that you just said and and i love that and i'm excited hopefully you know we do another one of these or yes invited to do another one i would be excited for that but um thank you for the opportunity
0: oh my gosh i love it so much and Absolutely. I'll say too, I, I want to just comment on, you were mentioning like sometimes our mental health and you know, all of that like is calling us. I mean, totally. I, I'm now in my mid thirties, but about five years ago, I burned out so hard. Right. Cause I was like, oh, I'm just gunning on my mission, you know, or I'm just like, I'm just like focused so much on my mission. And I was like, oh, I can't burn out. Cause I care about what I'm working on. And I don't know if you've felt burnout in your own way too, but it's like, Oh, be me being authentic though, coming back to that and, and agreeing to be part of the world involves this like level of responsibility of learning the cues of my life for when I need to restore my body. And that's one thing I really always encourage founders or other change makers is absolutely work hard, be out there, love your mission and know that the only way you can make the best and biggest change is when. You just like you said, like when you yourself are in your most healthful state, so yeah. it's that balance of knowing how to honor yourself as well as continuing that energy forward. It's it, it, they feed each other, and sometimes we can lose sight. I don't know if it's exactly like the analogy that you gave of like lose yourself in the sauce, but sometimes, right? We exactly, yeah. it's like, yeah. how do we find our balance and our flow? within it and that's the lifelong journey like that's the humanity and that's where the dissonance is is where are we where are we within that yeah so uh,
1: so much that is fire me up I got a group of students uh 2 240 we do a writing workshop and so I'm super fired up for that now so thank you for, for firing oh my gosh
0: up. thank you I mean seriously Is there any details that you want to just like, where can people follow you?
1: Yes. So if you want to know anything about any of our events, they're all on fredsdissonance.com. If you want to see any of my TED Talks or see any of my videos or see any other podcasts or different things that I've done, you can go to fredsdissonance.com. It has all that. I call them Fred Talks. Um, And so. Yes.
0: Thank you so much, Frederick. Cheers.
1: All right. Have a good one.